Welcome back to the Metric Stack Podcast. Today's guest is Christina Garnett from HubSpot, where she's responsible for external community strategy and the HubSpot HubFans program. Today, we're talking retention in the context of community and customer advocacy. I'm Lauren Thibodeau, and I'm joined by co-host, Clipfolio CEO and co-founder, Alan Villa. Huge welcome to the show today, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, awesome, Christina. And listen, maybe before we get started, give us a little bit of details, like the, get the communities that you manage or that you're part of, how big are they for HubSpot? It really depends. So the ones that I have with the HubFans program, I've created it into two different pieces because gamification works for some people, but it isn't necessarily a carrot for everyone. So we have our gamified platform that we utilize and we have over 28,000 people in there. We have over 3,000 who are actively engaged, taking challenges multiple times. And then we have over 650 people in our HubFans a community micro group, as well as 150 members of our HubFans Council, which are our top tier advocates. Are the outcomes or the is the purpose of these various communities, are they all the same or are you segmenting just the way you segment kind of what their what their motivation is? Um, so they're done as essentially an umbrella. And then within that umbrella, there are specific benefits and challenges based off of their motivations, what they're wanting to do and what advocacy looks like for them. If you have one central way for people to advocate for you, I find that it's incredibly just limiting for you because you essentially will dictate almost like on a binary level, whether or not it's effective based on whether or not people are choosing to do that behavior. And that's just not a truth indicator because they could love you, but that's not how they want to love you. If it's just like, if your whole thing is, I want you to create podcasts for us. Well, what if that person doesn't want to do podcasts or they don't want to edit or they don't know about what software they need? Or what if you want them to love you by making TikToks? Some people, that's just not how they want to love you. So I find that you have to be able to create multiple avenues for people to choose their own adventure. And then they will be more empowered to love you in their own advocacy language. I like I like the way you're phrasing that. Like how do how does you how do you want them to love you? Right. Like that's a great way to think about it. So we're getting into the meat of it. We're talking about retention today, and and just to sort of set the stage a little bit more, we're not talking about retention from a a paid customer point of view, and we've talked about that uh, on the show before as well. We're talking about retention in the context of these advocacy communities. So, and maybe uh, you can share with us in your own words, how do you define that or how do you think of retention as far as community goes? For me, retention is based off of whether or not you are regularly not only meeting expectation and motivations, but you're also scaling that. What you need to do is essentially, at HubSpot, we talk about a flywheel. Well, community works very similarly. We're creating habit loops so that people understand why they would come into a community, what behaviors they would need. But we also need to foster more and more opportunities for them to be able to come to that community and get value. Point in case, or case of point, if you look at support forums or support communities, the habit loop there is you're going to come and see us when you have questions. And once that question's met and you're good, you're going to leave. And you're not going to return until you have a new query versus a community of practice where there's multiple opportunities for value. It might be connection. It might be opportunities to be a speaker at an event. It might be the opportunity to answer those questions or ask questions um, depending on where you are um, as a member. But 
making sure that you're providing reasons for them to essentially return, but that you're continually giving them new reasons to come back is huge for them. I like to compare an ideal community state to a Target store. You go in for one thing and then you see all these little things and baubles that you want to buy that you didn't realize you needed or didn't realize you wanted. And then three hours later, you've spent way too much money and you have too many carts and you're going to your car. It's kind of the experience you want for a community member. I come in for one thing. Look at all this value that I see as soon as I come in and all these things I get to engage with and these people I get to talk to and these events I get to participate in. And that's kind of what you're going for is how can I create a space where they come in for one thing, but we've really created the selection point of all these value adds that as soon as they come, they don't want to leave. They just, they continue just wanting to gravitate and grab all the value that's there. You've reminded me I have to go to Costco tonight. <laughs> I am helping the economy. I'm doing my part. I love it. And and so when you think about measuring this metric, retention specifically, should everybody who has a community be measuring it? Or are there certain communities where you should look at retention versus ones you shouldn't? I think it really depends on what your goals for the community are. Like, what is the whole purpose of it being there? And granted, there's going to be some internalized goals versus external. Like, why would a company want to create a community or why would an organization want to create one versus what is the goal of it for the members? And just making sure, what does it look like to them? Like, what what does having that community mean for them? That's going to help you keep that voice of the community very near and dear to you so that you're always looking. The thing that I really like is creating a community member journey because a lot of people have kind of demonized the lurker as kind of like they don't have any value. And I just don't think that's the case because there's so much dark social. There's so many metrics that we we don't have access to. There's so much data that we don't know that that person might be driving people to that community because they see value, but maybe they're introverted. Maybe they absolutely love what you have and they want to read everything, but maybe they just don't want to engage. That doesn't mean that they don't have value. It just means that you're not able to identify the behavior that gives value. And so I really like to create journey maps based on the personas within a community group. What does a lurker or passive person look like? What would it need? What would you want to do? Or how would you be able to create a space where they feel safe enough so that they can progress and behave and become a part of more of an engaged populace? All right, they're engaged. What's going to make them become more of a champion or maybe potentially even be a moderator for the community? versus who's going to, what do I need to do to make them go to the next level where now they, they are actively advocating externally for the community that they've got all the behaviors internally, but now they're going to take a step outward and say, hey, you need to be a part of this, or this is something that's very special. And so breaking it down to those individual behavior personas to determine why are they here? What's working for them? And how can we make them feel comfortable and safe to do behaviors to get to the next point, I feel like every community can start building that out, even on like a really simple level so that you can start looking at the metrics. But if you start looking at that metric from day one, you're immediately going to treat people differently because you're going to see the engaged people like, oh, these are the people that help us. Mm-hmm. These lurkers like, ugh, these are the people who don't do anything for us. And I feel like that's that's a bad precedent to set. Really see it as, these people are all in different parts of the journey. And as someone who's in the community, it is your responsibility and your honor to be able to hold their hand 
and help them become a deeper part of that journey for them. Well, I wonder too, I mean, I like the idea that you're segmenting these these different audience members or these different actors. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, for every, like use Twitter, for example, for every person who, you know, authors a tweet, you know, there's probably... 10,000, 100,000 more people that are just consuming those, or actually there's even one in between that is just liking and retweeting things, right? So I think there definitely is sort of a hierarchy of the fully engaged, the the sort of the the likers and then just the, the, the consumers, right? And I do think that those consumers are valuable because if nobody was looking at the content that the authors are creating, uh, like, why would they come back? So uh, anyways, I, I like the fact that you're segmenting this. Now, do you look at retention the same, like, do you measure retention the same way for each of those different groups? I like to do like surveys, like NPS, and tr- and really looking at them from a perspective of what their general idea is and their experience before I start defining who they are. Because I find too that you, whether you like it or not, you're instinctively a bit biased. Like if someone who's engaged tells you they're not happy, you're more likely to take their suggestion seriously versus someone who's a lurker or passive. Mm -hmm. So I like to see what their experience is like before I preset them as a persona. Because I find that that way I'm able to look at their suggestions, good and bad feedback, from a less biased p- perspective. Well, so, I mean, shouldn't you, you know, take my thought with a grain of salt here, but I mean, you're calling them lurkers, right? <laughs> Isn't that like, doesn't that have a bad connotation, you know, next to the corner store, right? They're kind of sketchy, right? So. Well, I think, I think there's opportunities there. I'm very much not a semantics kind of person. So I've heard people call them learners. I've heard people call them passive. I've heard people call them lurkers. For me, I, I would much rather focus my energy on like, what's working for you? What's not working for you? What's your experience like? And when I, when I go through and I see these people um, either engaged or they're kind of come and go or they are more passive, really looking at their experience and seeing what's worthwhile to them because there might be things that they need that you never intended to have or you didn't realize was even like a requirement, essentially. Like there could be a time where someone, let's say that someone's not as active in the community as possible and you realize maybe they weren't properly onboarded or maybe they don't know what's possible or maybe they are a hyper-engaged person, but the first time that they responded to a question, they were kind of like dismissed. And so they still desperately want to be a part of the community, but they don't feel as welcome. So they, they're just like, I'll exist and get my value here, but I don't want my voice heard because I don't want to be dismissed again. There's so many people who bring such value to an audience that need to be told shut up once and they will never talk again. And it has nothing to do with like, they don't have anything to say or they don't want to say anything. It's that the opportunity to be ostracized again, that fear is greater than their need to connect. And so as community managers, I think that it's more it's like, I don't, I, I think it's more important to identify why they are a lurker or passive than that they are one. Mm-hmm. Because you need to see like, what is the root of the problem? Like if they're introverted, like good for you. Like I'm, I don't want you to be uncomfortable and do a behavior that's not going to work for you. I'm just glad you're here. But it's also you are more outgoing, but someone made you feel unwelcome. But you still need to be in here for work, or you still need to be in here for some of the reasons. So you you don't have the you don't have the 
the the luxury of leaving, but you are trying to protect yourself and your boundaries as best you can. Someone who like I'm a very protective person, I want to know that because like who do I need to talk to for you? Like who do I need to like shake a fist at? Cause I'll do it. Things like that. I think that it's I think it's very important to understand like what is the this user psychology? Like I know who you are now. I need to know why you are that way. And is there something that I can do to improve the experience that will then make you feel more comfortable, make you behave more comfortably, make you do things that are going to be more engaged because now you feel respected and appreciated and comfortable. And there's so many things that, especially as more and more people create communities, there's so many behaviors you don't see and also experiences. There's so many variables that you don't know. Someone could be having a really bad day and the tone of what they say is kind of like littered with that. And they may not mean to dismiss you or make you feel stupid for asking a question, but they've kind of like, they've carried all their baggage with them with their question. And so that's what community is. It's this human experience. And you have to understand like, how are we treating each other? And how are we creating space for each other so that we can coexist and also want to return to this space? And and maybe that's at the heart of what makes a community a community, right? Not, Not only are people there for the value and, and the belonging, but there's also this, this human personal aspect that probably impacts retention more than any of us would actually like to think it does. Yeah. Think about how such tiny moments can steal your joy in a day. No, I don't want, I, no, I don't want to think of that. <laughs> you see what I'm saying though? There's, there's variables with each of us. We are each carrying all these variables with us into a community. And then then that's also intensified by what's happening in like the macro space. Like what's happening in the world at large, geopolitically, that we have no control over. That in addition to the own variables that we carry, that's going to create moments for volatility, hostility, hopelessness. So when you're and so when you're analyzing your retention rate month over month, um, you know, are you sort of looking at community events, not just sort of value events, but but the community DNA events and saying, oh, we had a dip in retention here or or we really did well because, you know, such and such made this community feel really welcome. Um, I mean, what are the what are the inputs and in the and the outputs, you know, around actually analyzing what's working and what's not working with retention? Yeah. So obviously you're going to look at like events. So which events were more set up, which ones had a higher show rate, which ones had more RSVPs versus show rate? Does it, is it based off of like time of year, time of day? Who was the speaker? What was the topic? But then also, and I think a lot of my work in social media has helped this. I'm so used to having to understand that I have to read the room at all cost. It could be the most optimum time of day, the perfect topic, the perfect everything, but let's say the stock market crashed 24 hours earlier. Or let's say that you have the perfect topic and you have all these things, but it's the end of a quarter. And let's say you're doing a sales conference and you schedule it for like the end of a quarter. Well, like, no. The it's topic could have been happen. great, but that's not going to happen. Or let's say that you're setting things up for executives and they're incredibly busy and you tell them that it's going to be recorded. I'm not going to show up. Yeah, I, 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 will, I will get the recording and do one and a half times and I'll get yeah. the value, but like, I'm not showing up. I got stuff to do. I want to pick up on that and, and talking about the context around and what drives retention up and down. I was really curious when you were talking about kind of macro factors, 
If you saw any change in your retention during COVID, did people seek belonging more because now they were remote in every other part of their life? Did you see anything change around that need for, for being part of something bigger in a community? Absolutely. Um, with HubSpot, but also in my own personal space, like in social, you, from a social media perspective, I was, when COVID started, I was working in an agency, working for 500, um, for Fortune 500 brands and, and really having to determine, like, we might have to go dark in like the span of five minutes and we have to make that call and we have to block and like just pause absolutely everything, paid, organic, absolutely everything, talk to leadership, what are, what are execs going to say? Is it appropriate for them to even acknowledge that it happened? All of those things. And your brain has to immediately go into game theory mode. And so in addition to all of that, you have this beautiful thing that happened because of COVID, which is this undeniable unsilencing of burnout, Mm. where we can't juggle all of the work and also act like everything's okay. Um, I wound up writing a piece that was picked up by the next web and it was talking about like social media managers having to be plugged in at all costs. And like, we're literally paid to be tapped into Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook at all times. How c- there is no burnout solution for that when we are paid to see it all, to see everything unravel and, and not only see it for what it is as a human, but to see it as a professional to think like, all right, what is my strategic insight based off of this? So we have to constantly be able to not only see what's happening, but have our first priority be the brand mm-hmm. instead of our children, instead of us, instead of all these things. And so what you saw is not only this, this craving for belonging, but this craving for an anchor. Mm-hmm. Like they just want, I need to know that as I feel like I'm drowning, are there others who are drowning too? It isn't going to save me, but it will make me feel less alone. And I feel like if you look at the social media manager conversations over the past like two years, you see this undeniable understanding that we are not going to be quiet. We're not going to act like things are normal. We're not going to act like this is great. We love our jobs, but that also doesn't mean that we can't acknowledge that this is a hyper stressful space. We have to be on during a 24-hour news window, understanding that. There is no nine to five social platform. Like Twitter doesn't shut down. Like they don't like close the API at five and be like, all right, it's been real. We'll see you tomorrow at 8.30. Like that's not what happens. And so I think you have a sense of belonging. You have a sense of community. That's why community became such a buzzword. Community has been around for a while, like forever, for centuries. But it became this anchor. I need to know people who are going through what I'm going through. I need to know that I'm not alone when I feel helpless and full of despair or just stressed. And when you know there's not a solution, you seek camaraderie instead. Like, I, I don't know what the solution is. Now I'll just settle for not being alone. And so that was the biggest thing that I, I took from COVID is this, this and that marketing Twitter too, just this desperate need to collect fellow souls that, yeah, that, think, that get it. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting. And again, I mean, if you think about it and as you just sort of rolled it out for us there, it actually makes so much sense, right? Whether whether it's COVID or you have a, a technical problem that you need a solution to, whenever there's an unknown, you're looking for like-minded people to help in that solution, to sure share your pain, to share the solution, to find validation. Um, and so COVID with this massive experiment that happened in the world, but 
every single community, you know, should benefit from that same human psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing too, is making sure, and you see this in support forums, has anyone experienced this? Mm-hmm. What did you do? Yep. And so I, I hope that with the, just the onslaught of everything that happened with COVID in the community space, that we leave with more empathy towards others, that we understand that we're, we're collectively joining these spaces because we want to find a foothold. We want to find a place where we can learn, where we can be better, where we can feel like I'm not the sole person who doesn't understand how to do blank. And so I, I hope that that's happened. I hope that we've become a place where there's more understanding and, and more empathy when it comes to people who are new or joining or asking questions or anything like that. I, I hope so too. I think there's been areas where it has and areas where it hasn't. So we'll We'll keep our we'll keep our fingers crossed, right? So, for sure. I mean, we know what we're talking about here, right? So, what, what other metrics do you look at when you're looking at kind of the the retention health of in, and that growth, you know, of your of your community? What other sort of metrics, either top or or bottom, or length of stay, or or sessions? What what other what other things sort of give you context when you're analyzing that retention health? Um, I like to look at engagement, which is obviously a big metric that a lot of people in community look at. Um, Also looking for like points of interest. So if you're looking at your community almost like a heat map, Mm -hmm. where are they spending their time? Where are they more popular? What are they going towards? What is the source? Like what is this? Just like you would look at Google Analytics and you try to find out like what is the journey of the people on your website? Very similar to a community. How are people navigating your space? How are they finding value? How long are they staying in certain spots? What's engaged? What's not engaged? And then constantly understanding that it is a fluid human experiment. What do you need to stop, start, and continue? Are there gap opportunities? What are people looking for? And just constantly making sure that you're close to the voice of the community. So looking at NPS, looking at feedback, what's missing? What, what would you love to see? What's helpful for you? Where do you spend the majority of your time? Um, I think you need the quantitative, but you also need the qualitative. I think it's very easy to get stuck in that quantitative space. And it's, it's worthwhile. You need to look at those metrics. But for me, qualitative is incredibly helpful too, because let's say that you have a community and it is the sole place to get one type of knowledge. I could absolutely hate your brand. I could hate everything your community stands for. And I will literally only go there because it's the only source of that truth. And as soon as and I can't leave fast enough. And I'll talk trash about your height behind your back. I'll give you negative sentiment, but I, but I'll still go. Like I'll still be quote unquote engaged because that's the only place I have to go. Like I, that's what I find too, is there's depending on what type of community you have, or even what type of product, there's this misconception that power user means a lover of something. And it absolutely is not like there's, there's plenty of people who are power users of things because it's, it's the vendor or the tool that their company has chosen to use. And so they're essentially shackled to a product that they have to use day in and day out. And they could be an absolute expert at it, but that does not equate to love. It does not equate to affinity absolutely at all. So, so that's where you may have high retention or high engagement, or at least high engagement, maybe not retention, if they, if they're, but, but very, very poor NPS, for example. Yeah. 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 Super interesting. Yeah. And it's, and it's true though. I mean, think about this. If, talk to anyone that's had to do Facebook ads. Talk to a single person that's had to do Facebook ads. They will be able to tell you absolutely everything they can walk you through. They'll do tutorials. They'll tell you everything. But then ask them how they feel about it. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I probably very different experience. Yeah, very different experience. So, yeah, that's the thing too. Is I like when I've done advocacy work, there's been questions about, well, what about power users? And I was like, power usage is not necessarily equate to affinity. It just means yeah. they. It could be they have to use it, and they could, like I said, they could know that product in and out. But let's say that you're a power user and you don't get opportunities to beta test features for a product or you get feedback and you're never listened to. There's plenty of products and companies that do that. As soon as your customer, like they're all in, they're like, well, we get your money monthly or we get your money annually. Like we don't care. You have to constantly figure out, all right, well, you being in here every day doesn't necessarily mean you love us. It means you need us. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you love us. Well, I love, I'm going to jump in, Christine. I love the way that you really are taking a, a, a customer-centric or a person-centric approach and talking about love and their sentiment on in these communities. And companies set up communities in general to build, you know, sales for the product ultimately or keep that kind of uh, flywheel going. How do you think about community-led growth versus product-led growth or that relationship go to community and, and go to market? Yeah, no, I absolutely love community-led growth. And I don't, I, I, I kind of deviate away from conversations where it's one or the other. I feel like that's just another opportunity for silos that shouldn't mm -hmm. be there. Mm -hmm. I think that product, like if you have a product team and you have a community team, that's a marriage. That is, or should be a marriage. That's an opportunity for you to go to the product team and be like, how would you like to know how our customers feel about it? How would you like to know what the daily hurdles are that they have when they're in the product? How would you like to know exactly what features you could create that could make their job easier and make them advocate for you? You're essentially saying like, do you want all your market research and a walking, talking human that can give you everything you ever wanted to know and make sure you have market demand for any feature you have in the roadmap? There you go. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm up. <laughs> exactly. So the product team gets the product team gets validation. They get ideas. And if they're anything like the customers or partners at HubSpot, we have brilliant people who will not only tell you what they want, they'll tell you how they would actually implement it. They'll go in the ideas forum and be like, this is what I need. This is why I need it. This is how I would do it if I was going to like hack it myself. So there's an opportunity for product to get that. But then community-led growth, you are literally putting your community and your customer in the driver's seat and saying, you know this product really well. Do you want to be a part of how it grows? Do you want to be a part of how it improves? Do you want to be a part of how it can really take your experience to the next level? And so what you've given them is you've given them empowerment and you've given them a sense of ownership. How many people would love a seat at the table? By creating that marriage between product-led growth and community-led growth, you are essentially giving your customers and your partners and your community a space at the table. So now the voice of the community, the voice of the customer is incredibly loud and clear. And then the features that they want, when they become they come to life, you have organic social right there. They're going to tell every single person that they work with, hey, 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 you know this feature that exists because I asked for it. I came up with it. They are going to tell absolutely everybody and they're going to be proud. They're going to have this sense of empowered ownership over something that they use. And that's actually how you turn a power user into a power affinity lover. They're going to, they are happy use. Now, what if the people who know your product the best are now the people who love your product the most? They're going yeah, to uh, give you referral traffic, everything. I, I have seen that work so well. I mean, you, you listen to a customer, you know, you involve them in the product roadmap. And I mean, they are there for life. It really, it's so powerful. So I have, 
I wonder if you have any advice for folks that are building community specifically for product or, you know, it's fairly tied to the nitty gritty of what the product, the company sells or, or, or companies that are trying to build larger mission or vision based uh, communities. Um, and I've seen both, you know, like HubSpot has definitely got that sort of huge marketing mantra kind of community. And of course, I'm sure you guys have got the product communities as well that are much more nitty gritty. Do you have to think about it differently? I mean, is one for a different purpose? Um, what, what, what's your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it really depends. So obviously in business, scale is like the big word that you eventually, whatever you build, you got to scale. That's just how it kind of always feels. And that's fine. But I like to, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends at work that will joke I talk in metaphor. So I apologize, but it will make sense. I like to see it like a party. Parties are great until there's too many people in the room and then it's too loud. I can't hear my friends. The music is just like bass. I can't really hear anything. People are bumping into me. This isn't fun. What am I going to do as a human? I'm going to probably collect two or three of my friends and be like, hey, let's just go in the backyard and hang out. What I've done is I've been a part of an umbrella community and now I've decided to create a micro community inside of that because I want to reestablish the value I had when it was smaller, more intimate. When you're growing and you're scaling things, the bigger and bigger it gets, the harder and less tangible the value feels because now it feels like you're having to share that same value across like thousands of people. That's when you have to not remove the macro, you need to provide the micro. So now what micro communities can you create so that people can be like, all right, you're in the greater HubSpot community, cool. But what if you really like content marketing? Why don't we create this little micro community for you? And now you have more of like a niche specific group. You can talk about specific things. You're more likely to find people who are more closely aligned to you. You can find your quote unquote people. That's what you're doing. So if you're starting from scratch, I would start with a cab. I would start with the customer advisory board, start small yep. and let them essentially seed the community. They're going to be able to be that essential voice of the community starting off. And then you can decide what scale looks like on a macro level as you grow and scale. Cool. We're getting big. Everyone's coming into the house. Massive party. Now what's missing for the people who want to segment down and be more niche? And so it's a it's not really one or the other. It's a balancing act. So we're just sort of about to wrap up here, Christina. And, and I just want to ask, you've shared so many gems and I and, uh, love your anecdotes as well. Do you have any last words of advice? What should people really take away when they're thinking about retention of their communities? These are all humans. These are all real people. It's very easy in any type of business to see people as numbers, especially when you're trying to grow and scale. All of these people are humans. They all have individual needs. They have backstories and struggles that you probably will never know about. And so make sure that you're keeping them at the heart of everything that you're doing. Don't take them for granted. And if you have questions and you're not sure, ask them. They would love to have their opinion listened to. And, and don't just listen to the good. It's great to have feedback where people are like, this is amazing and it's perfect and I love it. And that's great. But also, I can't do anything with that. I can't action on perfection. Negative feedback and even neutral feedback, it stings, but it's honestly the most helpful because that gives you direction and what you can do to optimize and improve the experience. Christina, thank you so much. Uh, Christina Garnett, Community and Advocacy at HubSpot. Uh, I love it. So much sort of real 
personal empathetic advice on retaining, building and retaining uh, your, your communities. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.